You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning. You don't normally see me in this spot. I'm normally over here. I just wanted to thank the worship team for their serving. They're amazing. We're so blessed to have these people here. And they wanted to give me some space to be able to just pray and not use my voice up so that I could talk to you for like a long time. Are you ready? (laughs) So my name is Callie Welch. If you haven't met me before, I work here at the church and I'm the worship director. And today I get to bring a message um, that I feel like the Lord was giving me back in November actually of 2020. And I just wanted to first just say, this, is, this has been a long couple of weeks getting prepared for this. <laughs> I do not envy what Jeff does every week. Every week. We were talking about it. I was like, thinking, I've been thinking about how, you know, if you've ever been a waitress or a server at a restaurant, you've, you know this feeling of like, everybody should have to do that job at least one week of their life, Right? because it is hard, and then you'll have gratitude for the fact that those people are working hard for your food today. Well, this is similar, and Jeff's been talking about this as well, that we were joking about this week, like, everybody should have to preach one sermon in their life. You should have to prepare for it and and preach in front of people, (laughs) and then we'll all appreciate what he's doing. Um, I actually am quite experienced with that. I'm a fifth-generation preacher's kid, So um, I was thinking about my forefathers a lot this last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this. And so I'm, my dad's a, uh, we call them preachers from my upbringing, not pastors. So I apologize if I don't say, if you're used to hearing people call Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, I just kind (laughs) of, I'm not used to that. So um, my dad was a preacher and my, my mom's dad was a preacher, and his dad was a preacher, and his dad was a preacher. And after that, I'm not really sure. It's possible there were more. And so I've, I've spent my life um, listening to sermons, and that will not make this one any better. Just because I've listened to probably 4,500 of them does not actually mean this will be anything. But um, it also is the reason that I never wanted to go into ministry, ever. You have those things where you're like, no, I'm never doing that. And God's like, oh, yeah, that's actually what's on your life. So now I work at a church full time doing ministry. Um, But so in November, I was reading through a Bible plan that I'm on, and I was in Deuteronomy. And if you've read Deuteronomy, then you know you have, you like need to pray before, you should pray anytime you're going to read your Bible. Let's just say that right now. You really need the author of the Bible to help you understand the Bible. So I'm praying to the Holy Spirit, like, give me something today. <laughs> and Deuteronomy is about a lot of laws and stuff. So, um, but in chapter 20, the Lord just um, sort of stopped me in the middle of what I was reading and said, this is for today, for now. Which is kind of hard sometimes because we think about it being very specific to a specific people in a specific time for a specific thing they're about to encounter. Um, but the Lord really was impressing on me that this was for us as a body today. Um, and so you guys get to hear about it because I've, I've, been, I've been praying about it and leaning into it since November and learning a lot. And I will just say I'm not a theologian and I am not a scholar and I am still learning about 
what he's talking about. Um, but I think we should pray before we get going. <laughs> so my thinking about my forefathers, my grandfather used to pray the same prayer every time he would ever pray. And when I was a kid, I thought that was weird. I thought it was ritualistic. And I thought it didn't mean anything to him. And this past couple of weeks, as I was thinking about all these preachers in my family, I thought about this same prayer he used to pray in his southern accent. He would say, All wise and ever to be adored, Heavenly Father, we want to thank thee for thy bountiful blessings that thou hast bestowed upon us. And then he would continue his prayer. And the Lord just was really showing me. He meant every word of it. Every word, he meant it. And he said it over and over and over again because he meant it from the bottom of his heart. And he was so faithful to the Lord. So I'm going to start our prayer kind of in a similar way, but my own, not with the these and thous. So all wise and ever to be adored, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. It's endless. Father, I ask that you would, you would guide my words today, that you would speak your word to us, that we would hear you with new ears, open ears, and an open heart. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you for being present here with us today and that you speak to us and that you want us to know what you have to say. We love you. In your son's name, amen. Okay, so Deuteronomy 20, if you have your Bibles, you can open to it. I think it's kind of awesome. The girls, did, the ladies didn't know that I was going to be talking about the Red Sea splitting and then they sang, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. Oh! I'll just stick that in my back pocket. Okay, not today, Satan. So in Deuteronomy 20, I'm going to give you a little backdrop. So we've got the Israelites, and they've been in captivity, and then in Egypt, right? They're slaves there. Moses comes in by God's, um, he asked him to go in and rescues people. And so through Moses, God does 10 plagues, which are incredible and crazy, and they, they they escape out of Egypt, and then they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And now they feel trapped. They've got the Red Sea behind them. And they're like, we're going to die. The Egyptians are coming with their huge army, and they've got chariots and horses, and we're going to die. We should have just stayed in slavery. And, but yet, I mean, they already had forgotten that God just did like 10 plagues and got them out of there. I don't know how they forgot that fast, but I'm pretty sure we all do the same thing. So they're at the Red Sea, and then God parts the Red Sea. And they walk through. And some scholars would say for days, because there were thousands and thousands and thousands of them, it would take them days to cross. And so for days, they're walking through a miracle. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're walking through the miracle all around them where the waters have parted. And they get across the other side, and then God closes up the sea, and it, and it swallows up all of their enemies, the horses and chariots and the Egyptian army. Okay? And so then... They're like, God's going to take them into their promised land that he's been telling their father, Jacob, we're going to go, this land is for you. And so they send in 12 spies. You guys heard this story before, right? So you start tell, the 12 spies go in, they, they see the land, and 10 of them come back with a really bad report. They are scared. They feel tiny in the eyes of these giants that rule the land. 
And so their fear then spreads to the whole of the congregation of Israel. All of Israel is now in fear. Not Moses. He's, he's not happy about what's going on, right? Um, now, after the Red Sea like, went back over the people and all those plagues, everybody around knew that God was with the people of Israel, except maybe Israel. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but I think we do that, right? So because of their fear and they didn't trust God, they don't get to go into the promise. Instead, they end up roaming around the wilderness for 40 years until all of them but the two with the good report die, okay? And then, then they'll get to pass into the promised land. So during that time in the wilderness, then God is giving instructions through Moses for his people. So we're all on the same page now, right? That's where we're at. This specific spot in Deuteronomy 20 is talking about laws of, about warfare, and so we're going to, we can put up that slide for Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. So he says, when you go out to, the, to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priests shall come forward and speak to the people. And shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now, most of this message is going to be from the, the following four, four verses. But I wanted to talk about the importance of this. So they send the priests out to the people. They've already gathered to, they're already like ready they're in all their gear, they're ready to go fight, and that's when the priests are going to come out and say, hey, I know you see this whole big army, I know they look scary with their horses and chariots, but do not fear. Remember, remember how God was with you, and he brought you out of Egypt, right? So they're supposed to remind that. And why? Because of those horses and chariots that you're all afraid of. Remember what I did to them in the Red Sea, and I swallowed them up, right? So, I believe that this, this is him saying, the priests are going to come out and go, now this time, don't forget who I am. Don't forget this time. That way you can step into your promises. So that's then. How does this apply to us today, right? Um, I do believe that God is very mysterious and his ways are mysterious and that his word is living. And so even though he spoke to them very specifically, this is also for us. Because we're now his chosen people like the Israelites. So we see, I don't know, that hopefully everybody's with me on that, that we can apply this to today, yeah? Okay. Um, so the next question I had when I'm reading through all this stuff and the Lord's giving me this, this message, I'm like, yeah, but you're God, you're almighty. Do you really need us? I don't feel like you really need us. We could just maybe stand there and you'll do, you'll, you said you'll be victorious for us. Can't I just be, do I even have to go out to the battle? And, but verses 1 and 2 says, God is with them. He has this expectation that we would go alongside him. And he's always given us a choice from the garden, right? You know, we can choose to love him, choose to obey him, or not. And so he's had this goal of participating with us. So I believe that this is a collaborative work that he wants to do with his people. And he has an expectation that we would fight. A, we wouldn't be out there fighting by ourselves, and B, we wouldn't be on the sidelines. He actually says, I'm, we're going to go to battle together, and I'm going to fight with you, and I'll be victorious for you. 
Um, but we do have a choice to participate. And in the following verses, we're going to find out that we can get kicked out of this battle if we're not ready. But first, before I get into that, my, big, my biggest question in all of this as I, was learn, as I was leaning into all this was, what is the battle, though? Like, I know what they were doing, but what does the battle for us look like? Because I feel like every day I have spiritual warfare hitting me. Does anybody else feel like they're in a battle, like, every day? Like, oh, don't gossip. Oh, don't think that about that person. Oh, those addictions. Oh, this and that. Like, we have all this stuff constantly hitting us all the time, right? But I felt like the Lord was saying, that's not what I'm talking about. So for Israel, they were, fighting, they were going to be fighting for the promised land. God had said, this is the land I'm going to give you. Now you're going to go fight for it. Okay, so it was a territory that he had promised to them. And it was fertile and plentiful and inhabited by idol worshipers and ruled by giants. But for us, what's the land that's promised to us? Do we have a promised land for us, a promised territory? So Mark 16, 15 says, and Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. He then goes on to tell them in that passage that the believers will be accompanied with these signs, including casting out demons, speaking new tongues, serpents and poison won't hurt them, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Then Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of God. And Mark 16, 20 says, And they went out and preached everywhere while the, wor- while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So he works with us to do this. He's in this battle with us. So as we look at, like, what is this battle then for us? What is the territory? It is the whole earth. It's on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah? It's the fact that God gave us a co-mission. He commissioned us. It's a co-mission. We're going to do it together. Um, in Genesis, God created mankind, right? And then he says, go and subdue, subdue the earth, which is authority. He gave authority to man. And then he, and, you know, multiply, be fruitful, right? But then Adam and Eve disobey. They give that authority over to Satan by agreeing with him instead of God, right? So now, now our earth, which is fertile and plentiful, is inhabited by idol worshipers, and it is ruled by giants in the unseen realm. But this is our land. And Jesus came back and took it back as man, sinless, the perfect sacrifice. He came back, took the authority back. I mean, this is like a lot of gospel message right here that Jeff's already covered in previous messages, so you guys can go back and get some of that. But this is our territory. And there's an enemy that's here in the unseen realm, wreaking havoc, and it's not his, and it's, his not, it's not his right to be there. It's been promised to us. It was always meant for us. The power that resurrected Jesus to eternal life is the same power that is at work against the enemy, the serpent, and all of his poisonous attacks that actually have no eternal effect on us. To the point where we lay hands on people and they recover from the poison that the serpent has put into our lives. Right? In Colossians 1.28 it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All right. So I got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to move on. But we know the battle now. It's for the souls. 
It's for this earth to look like heaven. And it's our right to have that, to be in that battle. But the problem is some of us aren't ready, right? And this is, I want to just say this right now before we get into this. I'm just like, just like Pastor Jeff was yes, last week, I'm preaching to myself. The Lord gave me this word because I needed to hear it first. I need to know if I'm battle ready. And you need to know if you're battle ready. I know that the victory's been won in Jesus, but this is our land. And it is our right to subdue it. He's asking us to be in mission with him to do so. So the priests are going to go then and explain what, when you should go home and not be in the battle, okay? So reason number one, you may not be battle ready. In verse 5 it says, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. So I was reading that, and I'm like, what does dedicate your house mean? I don't know what that means. Why would that be some reason you couldn't go to battle? I don't understand. People get new houses all the time, <laughs> you know? I mean, every one of us has moved before, right, to a new house. That's time-consuming. Um, what this, so I did some looking into this, and it's talking about claiming ownership of a house you've built. But they would go before the priests in the temple, before God, and dedicate it, this is my house. They would claim ownership of it. And in, the, in Strong's Concordance, it says that this word dedicated means to figuratively initiate or to discipline or to train up. Training up your house in the service of God. Um, back then, if you had a new place and you're going to go out into battle, but you haven't dedicated that house, nobody knows it's yours. If you die in battle, somebody else can just go get your house. It'll be theirs. You did all this work to build it. And now they're going to live in it, and they're going to fill it with whatever they want. They're going to train it up to be under the purposes that they want it to be for. I know a few people, you guys are moving into a new house. You've been dreaming. What's going to go in these rooms, right? Who's going to fill these rooms? How are these rooms going to be serving God? What are we going to do in them? And I believe that this is where we have, in order to be ready for a battle, a territorial battle, we have to take the ground that's at our feet. So what does that look like for us? Okay, because this is a lot of symbology. I don't want to lose you guys here. <laughs> um, so wherever we live is our territory. Wherever we work, our territory. Where do we play? Our territory. What are we putting our hands to? That's our territory. God's already given it to us, so it's therefore ours to, to take ownership of. But if we don't take spiritual ownership of it, then it gets trained up for other purposes. Anytime we see this another man in these next verses, I want you to just imagine that this is Satan. This is not God's, it's not a spirit of God or yours, so it's another it's evil. If you do not take spiritual authority in the places that are your territory, at your feet already that God gave you, another man could come in and train up that place to be for his purposes and his service. If we're not going to live in the day-to-day -day dedication unto God in all of the places that we walk and do life, we have no business going into a territorial battle to take ground for God. And he knows it, and he's not going to put us in that kind of danger, lest we die. Let's 
the Lord told Joshua when Moses passed away, then it was time for Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And he says in Joshua 1, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. He, that's his promise to us. He's with us, and this, everywhere we step, this is, my, this is the territory God gave me. I want to share quickly a, a practical story of this. The reason that this whole message started to come about was because I have history with the Lord in this exact thing. So there's this, there's this passage um, in the Old Testament, a prayer of Jabez, who says, expand my territory. Have you heard of this? So at the time, I, this is about four years ago, I was working at a store here in town. It's a lovely little store, and I viewed it as a secular store and a secular job separate from my life in Christ. Not that I was doing things that were un, ungodly, but I just viewed it as this like stopover point in my life. I, it wasn't, I wasn't living yet in what God had asked me to live in because he had been telling me about ministry, which I told you I didn't want to do before, but now I was like listening to God and I'm like, yeah, well, Kaylin, let's do it. Let's get on it already. But here I was in this job for four years in a secular store with stuff in it that I didn't believe in. And I, I went into work one day and I was like, <sighs> Lord, I'm out in the car, it's cold, you know. Expand my territory. I'm pleading with him. I'm just so miserable doing this job. Which, by the way, it was a really nice job. I don't know what my problem was. But I had, I had set my mind on going to Honduras. I was ready to take my lovely family, including my special needs daughter, all the way to Honduras. Let's do this, God. You said ministry, let's go. I was wrong, by the way. I did not hear him clearly. But that moment in the car, exasperated, I heard him as if he was sitting right next to me. And it's like it happened two minutes ago. It's so clear to me. And he said with the kindest voice, oh, honey, I can't. You haven't taken authority in the territory I already gave you. It was like I got punched in the gut. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And he started showing me this store. This is territory. I gave it to you. I've already expanded your territory, but you're not walking in it. You're not walking in that authority. And from that day, convicted, not shamed, not guilty, convicted to live rightly. Every step I took, I started praying over it. Every piece of inventory, I was praying for it to sell for my boss. I was praying for her to prosper and be successful. I was praying for her soul. I was praying for the customers that were going to come in. I was, I was praying for my coworkers. And suddenly, I started to see people were coming in to talk to me because they were just, I was on their mind. And then we would cry and we would pray in the middle of the store. Huh, I'm not supposed to do that. It's a secular store. What if they catch me? You know? And suddenly, there's customers I've never met before. And they are weeping and telling me stuff. And they don't know why. I don't know why either, but they're doing it, and we're both crying in the middle of the store. Um, and the, my boss is now one of my best friends. She's so sweet. She's not my boss anymore. She's my good friend. And we talk about God 
even though she's not willing to talk to anybody else about God. And that was not going to happen until I took authority in that place. So that's why I'm telling you the story, because when, when that verse hit, I was like, oh, okay, we've talked about this before. I hear you, Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. We have to take, a take authority, and it's that, it's that scripture where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let's go skip to reason number two, that you may not be bad already. Verse 6 says, And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. And I am not a farmer. I got, we got farmers in here. Please give me grace. Every agricultural symbology in the Bible is like, whoo, that went over my head, like a thousand miles. I have no idea what they're talking about. But the vineyard part, I started to get a little bit of in, you know, insight on, because there's that, that scripture that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So for Israel, they're going to have to go into a land where there's these mature vineyards, so mature that the guys are carrying great bundles on two sticks. Like two people have to hold it. They're huge. How do, you, how do you know how to handle somebody else's vineyard if you've never tended to your own vineyard? Maybe you planted it, but you've not spent years tending to it and seeing no growth, no provision quite yet. It's not strong enough to, to bear weight, bear fruit. You're hungry. Who do you have to lean on for that? That's God. So in that time frame where there's those seasons where there's no fruit, we have got to learn to lean on the Lord for every provision from his hand. So in, in the wilderness, God gives them manna. He, he, he brings them bread from the sky that they've never seen before. And Mara tells me that the word manna means, what is it? That's what it means. What is it? That's pretty much my whole experience with the Lord. What is that? What are you doing? What is that? It's manna. And I've spent years where I, didn't, I wasn't producing any fruit. I was mean, I was saying things out of fear and emotions, and my poor family can attest to it. I didn't have any fruit that was good. And the Lord drew me into a close place with him where he said, come and abide with me. This is where the source is for all the good fruit that's going to come out of your life. In that place, I think we, we learn to trust that he's going to be there for us and provide. And then we realize he's the source. And even if I am finally mature and I'm actually patient with people and I'm actually kind to somebody who's being mean to me and all those things, that I don't go, oh, I'm mature now. I can go away from the vine. Nope. By that time, I fully realized I did not do that. I don't know where that came from. I don't even know how I was able to be patient today. <laughs> That's crazy. That's got to be God. Right? And everybody in your family's like, yep, mm-hmm. Because I know you. Vineyards that reap a large harvest provide nourishment for yourself, but they also provide it for many. Tending to our own inward vineyard is needed in order for us to help new believers do the same thing. And that's the, that's the territory we're going into, right? New souls, new believers. 
How in the world can we be expected to teach somebody else how to abide in Christ if we've never done it ourselves? How can we teach them how to lean on the Lord for every provision, I promise, and we have no idea what we're talking about? Because we've not done it ourselves. In Luke 10, too, good job, Megan. Megan's following along with me as I'm just skipping all over the place. Good job. So Jesus is about to instruct, he's instructing 72 disciples, he's going to send them out, right, into the land. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and the Lord is the, he's in charge of the harvest. Will you know how to work the fields of this spiritual harvest? These are precious souls that we are talking about. These are God's children. We have to do it ourselves first. We have to be willing to do the hard work of leaning on him when we're not, when we're not producing the good things that we're supposed to be producing. He's calling us into a battlefield, and he says, I need more workers in the field. Why does he actually need us? He's, he's asked us to be a part of this. But are we ready to go? In John 4, it says, the Lord says, um, there are yet four, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. But look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's already people out in this field. Praise the Lord. And this harvest is now. It's ready right now. There is no time for us to be wasting. This, I'm talking to me, okay? There's no time to waste. The workers are few, but the field is ready and it's plentiful. There are people who, are, who have already accepted the Lord and have nowhere to turn to. They don't know how to be discipled. They don't know how to lean on the Lord. There's a lot of us that have been doing this for a long time. I was born into the church. I'm 41. I, shouldn't, I, should, I feel like I should be a little more mature than I am. I feel like my, this vineyard should be really mature by now, right? There's no more time to waste. We have to ask the Lord to reveal where we need growth so that another man doesn't come along and use our vineyard for something else, for bad fruit, to poison people. Reason number three, that you may not be bad already. In verse 7 it says, And is there any man who is betrothed to a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. So a lot of times in the church we kind of shy away from scriptures that have anything to do with intimacy or anything like that. Because it's kind of like we all get a little uncomfortable about it. But this is the one thing where the Lord's been speaking to me for the last seven years endlessly. Know me. Be known by me. Draw closer to me. See, sin has distorted marriage in our world. The devil has distorted what true intimacy looks like, and he has distorted sexual purity. And meanwhile, unfortunately, the church has gone pretty silent on the topic. Marriage is meant to be a sacred example 
of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5.32 says, Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. I want to talk a little bit about knowing, um, knowing God in this term. And this is something that I feel like I've put a lot of time in, in learning about over the last seven years. Literally, it's been seven years. He doesn't talk about anything else. And that's why when I'm praying up here, all I talk about is relationship with Jesus. I'll, I'll have something else planned. And then that's the only thing I know how to say. <laughs> because that's all that he really is talking to me about. Come, to, come closer. Know me. Look in my eyes. Just look at me, honey. There's nothing else to see out there. Just look at me. The word to know in um, the Bible, we've got the Hebrew and Greek. Okay, so the Hebrew is yada, I believe is how you say it. And then in the, in the Greek, it's genosko. But this word is the same in both. It's the same basic idea. And it means to know absolutely. It comes, it, it's to know in a great variety of applications with many implications. And one of those ways that it is used many times in the Bible is, is in reference to sexual intercourse with a, about marriage, okay? And so you'll see places like where it says, um, Joseph didn't know Mary until after Jesus was born. That's what that's talking about. But that's the same exact word that's used when it talks about our relationship with God, our relationship with his son, So I want you to just kind of think about this in the sense of this is a man in Israel who's now, he's, he's engaged to be married, and guess what? All he can think about is that beautiful girl back home that he is supposed to marry, but he has not consummated that relationship yet. Do you think that he's going to go out to battle and not be thinking about that? This is why they're like, oh, no, no, you got to go home. <laughs> Lest you die on this battle field thinking about her. And some other guy's going to come along. He's going to take her. And he's going to live his life with her and not you. And that's what you're going to be thinking about when you're in a battle. Right? So if we're in a battle going out and we're taking territory for the Lord, but we haven't been taken by him, there, there's a reason that we won't allow him to consummate this relationship. I have all these notes. I have a lot to say on this topic because, like I said, it's been seven years. But I think there's the Lord just is really serious about this, two becoming one, the oneness with his spirit. He gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit. Can you get closer than that? He's inside you. Forever. It's, we're all, we were designed with an eternal spirit in the image of God to be one with only one other spirit. His spirit who knows the deep things of him, of his heart, the mysteries If we're unwilling to go deep with the Lord, to let him come in and have every part of our life to completely, fully saturate in him and who he is and become in the fullness of who he is, there's probably a reason, okay? And this is, again, preaching to myself. 
there's a reason that I get stuck and I go like, yeah, that's good. That's good. We've gone through a lot of stuff. We've worked all that stuff out. Feeling good. I don't think we need to go any further. That feels uncomfortable. Well, the problem is there's a reason that I, have, I won't let him go deeper. And maybe I don't know what it is. But in order for union to be complete, it has to be consummated. The, the word consummated means um, to bring to a state of perfection, fulfillment, and it is a completion of the union. In, I'm going to just read from Ephesians 3.14. I think it gives us a good picture of what it looks like as a church to be, to be able to be in intimacy with him as well as personally. So uh, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, this is the saints he's talking about, he's writing to the saints, believers, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints." Together we do this. Together we would comprehend as the bride. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know, that's that word, to know absolutely the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, that's that same word, that surpasses knowledge absolutely. <laughs> it's like a rabbit hole you can go into. Um, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. These are words about oneness and knowing absolutely. There's not ever been meant to be a separation between us and Christ. That's why he gave us his spirit, so that we could be one with him. Did you know that it's possible to have the Holy Spirit and still be a roommate with him? Did you know it's possible to believe in him and then ignore him completely? I lived 36 years doing that. I mean, that was, that was what we were taught, <laughs> okay? Yep, you get the Holy Spirit, he's your, your, your seal to heaven, you're good to go. And then you ignore him for the rest of your life. No, that's not what we're meant to do. But it, you have a choice. Do you want to talk to him? Do you want to listen to him? Do you want to look at him? Or do you want to pretend like he's not there? Because <laughs> it's uncomfortable, right? So there's a, there's a choice to be baptized and fully immersed in the Holy Spirit and to be fully taken by him. And it requires intentionality every day. It requires quiet time with him. Prayer, Bible reading community with him and with others, coming to church, being encouraged. There's lots of ways to do it, but there's that deep, deep time with him is in private, it's in the secret place, and that can actually be done here as a body too, if we'll let it. So my challenge to you is whether you're male or female, don't allow the father of lies to distort this beautiful concept of intimacy with Christ. Don't give him that day. I believe one of the scariest verses in the Bible is in Matthew 7, 21. Maybe you've read it. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name just by the way those are the signs that accompany believers? Are you hearing me? Believers. Believers are the ones that with the Holy Spirit. That's how you get the Holy Spirit, because you believed. (laughs) This troubles me. This verse troubles me. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you absolutely. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The voice of the commander of angel armies requires intimate abiding knowledge of him in order to obey his every command. His commands are not to hurt us, but for our good and for our victory. I guess the last question I have about that, just because I felt like it was important to talk about, is are we, are we having, who have we allowed to come into the marriage bed with Christ? There's a reason if we haven't been taken by him, then there's another man in our bed. You understand? If we will not be taken fully by Christ, As a body here and individually, that means we are sharing that bed with someone else. And that is adultery and it is vile. And our Lord Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride who he made spotless. I think that we have to ask ourselves these questions to know if we're having a spiritual affair. Because sometimes it's easy to just think, I'm a good Christian. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm good. I'm coming to church. I treat people nice. The question is, what do I treasure? Because that's where my heart is. Do I treasure anything more than Christ? And that time with him and that relationship with him. What's, what's my mindset on? Let me pull up that side on... Um, like 28 or 29 or something like that. What's my mindset on? There's some scriptures that go with these things. I don't have time to go into all of those. Um, are, we, are our minds set on earthly things or on things above? That's a good way to know whether or not, like what is your mind thinking about every day? It's a pretty good indication of where your heart is as well. Whose glory do I love more, man's or God's? Is what I'm doing today based on what man wants me to do? What I think man wants me to do? Or is it based on what God asked me to do? What God's, what God's talking about for me to do? And the last one would be, who do I obey? At the end of the day, who am I obeying over, over God? Any spiritual marriage to anything evil leads to spiritual death. And the intimate secrets that come from that marriage bed are ones filled with shame, guilt, lies, regret, pain, horror, bitterness, and the list goes on. So if you find yourself with those things, it's pretty likely that you've been consummating a different relationship. My heart's broken over that for our body, for the body of Christ.
but I'm going to move on, okay? <laughs> There's one more reason that you shouldn't go out to battle. And it is, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. So Israelite could see their whole army amassing, and it was huge. And they had, like they said, they had the horses and the chariots, which they didn't have. They had weapons that they didn't have, right? And the only reason they would have fear is because they forgot who God was, who God had already been to them, who the testimonies, all those testimonies, what that pointed to. But our enemy is unseen. It's a little bit trickier, isn't it? And we often use that and go, well... I mean, he's probably not that bad. We kind of forget about him even being there. Or the complete opposite, we start looking at him and thinking, he's giant, he's huge, he's going to kill me, everything, he's stealing everything, he's killing everything, he's destroying everything. And we start making him, we magnify him and all of his problems because we're not looking at the Lord. We know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That it is, it is principalities, it's the ruler's... I have so many scriptures. I have so many slides. We're going to skip it. We know that. This is a realm of the unseen. And the problem is that fear is kind of like unknown. We don't always know. We're not aware that we have it. And I have proof. In 2019, would you have imagined widespread panic and toilet paper hoarding over a virus that is 95 to 99.99% survivable. Would you have, you would have laughed. It would have been ludicrous. No, no way. We're not toilet paper hoarding over that. There's no way. People are more, they have reason. They can reason. But there was fear. Fear rose up from places we didn't even know they existed. I believe this is the thing the Lord kind of spoke to me about during all this because I was asking him about fear. And he said, fear is a response to the perceived distance that we have between us and God's love. Fear is a response to the perceived distance between us and God's love for us. Romans 8.35 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Do you realize that all of 2020 we have been threatened with death every single day? Every day. I'm fed up with it. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Are you? What are you living for? To not die? That's not what we're called for. And none of that says that we're separated from his love because we're experiencing those things. We didn't suddenly lose his love because we're having trouble. And all of us have trouble. It goes on to say, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. See, if you're on a battlefield and you have fear, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to hold your sword. You're going to be trembling, right? And then the guy next to you is like, hey, 
I'm like exposed now because you dropped your sword. And they start having fear that maybe, maybe I should be shaking, you're shaking, and you're this big muscular person. You know, you're a big person in Christ, and now you're over here in fear? And start spreading like a virus. The thing is, the world is shaking right now, trembling with fear, and it is not of a virus. The enemy here that they're shaking over is unseen, and he's causing havoc, and he's trying to keep us from going out into that field where we are supposed to be harvesting a good harvest. The only way to do anything about it is to go to the Lord. He is love, and perfect love casts out all fear. And we don't need to be trembling before an enemy that does not deserve our awe. And I'm not saying don't underestimate him. I'm saying stop looking at him. Who are you looking at? Who am I looking at? The one that's made troubles? The troublemaker and all of his troubles? No. I want to magnify God who is almighty and powerful. And his testimonies are sure. And he's been faithful. He's been faithful. He's proven himself over and over and over again. And when I magnify him, everything else is tiny in comparison. And what's going to stop me? Death? No, that's just the beginning, you guys. His banner over us is love. They carry out into the war this banner this, that says who they are. If we haven't experienced love himself, we won't be able to hold his banner that says, this is who I am. This is the army I fight for. Much less are we going to be able to hold the sort of truth that tells us all about that love. The battle at hand is not for those who have not spent time with love himself. And this is not condemnation. This is an encouragement to go, go home. Go home and spend time with him. Consummate that relationship with him. That way there is nothing that will distract you on the battlefield. You will know whose you are. And nobody can come in and take that away from you. To be a good soldier, our desires must be wrapped up in the one who sent us into the battle. Wrapped up in everything that he is, that he does, that he says. All his desires and his will. In 2 Timothy 2, I, was, I had this whole moment with the Lord and I'm like writing down everything I can think of that he's trying to say in my, in my journal. I've texted Charlisa and Patty. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm getting this download. I don't know what to do with it. I, my hand's fallen off. I've been writing all this stuff down. And then as I'm communicating with them, I realize I just read a scripture about being a good soldier. I'm pretty sure the Lord's kind of rounding this thing off for me, <laughs> right? 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. All these things we've been talking about, the reasons that you would have to go home and not be in the battle, they are not, they're not, they have nothing to do with the battle at hand. They're things that have to be taken care of ahead, beforehand. Otherwise, they're just civilian pursuits. See, a, a disciple of Christ is doing everything to learn and be exactly like Christ. They are, they're a student of him, and they reflect 
what he is and does, right? So a good soldier has a singular aim and focus to please the one who enlisted him into the army. He's not distracted by the things that he's left undone. Like, you know, I got that place I work and, you know, I just, everybody is mean there and nobody will listen to me and I can't even talk, I can't talk to anybody about God there. I don't think that's their fault. That's your territory. You're, a, you're an ambassador from the Lord and everywhere you go is sovereign land. That's what an apostle is. That's a sent one. They go and they, they redo culture on earth as it is in heaven. So one who is ready for battle is one who has already claimed territory in God's name and dedicated it to the service of the Lord. Day in and day out. One who is ready for battle has a mature vineyard producing useful and good fruit of the Spirit and it nourishes many. One who is ready for battle is intimately acquainted with and eternally bound to the bridegroom king, fully committed to his will, fully in love with him. And one who is ready for battle is confident in God's power to save and be victorious, shedding all fear of an enemy that could never stand against the resurrection power of the Spirit of God. But we're not alone in this process, and there's a lot of us that are not ready. There is no condemnation. There is only a call to action. So don't be discouraged if you're not ready. Keep sharing the gospel anyway. You'll mature. Find workers who are in the field to help you. But now is the time to start. The fields are white, and you were born for such a time as this. If you guys want to just stand up. I believe that the hearts of everyone here, yeah, you guys come on up, have a desire for the Lord. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You love him. You've trusted him somewhere. You know you're supposed to be here. But are we ready? Are we ready as a body to bring in a great harvest? I don't know. But I want us to be real bad. So I'm going to pray about that. If there's anybody who does want prayer for that, if there's anybody who just says, I want more, Lord. I'm, I'm feeling good, but I need more. Prayer isn't for broken, only brokenness. Because we're... <laughs> Can I just say we're all broken? We all have these broken parts of us. And the fact that we need more just shows that we have some stuff that's not quite dealt with yet. But there's, you could be doing really awesome, having a really mature vineyard, and you still need more. You still need more. God is the only one that doesn't change because he is perfect. So asking for prayer is awesome and good, and y'all are always welcome to come lay hands on me at any time. Even while I'm worshiping, if you feel something, you just come up. I don't care. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this body right here. I thank you, God, that you have claimed us as your people. 
that you've chosen us for such a time as this, this time in this nation, in this era. Wow. I sure don't feel like I should be the one here. But God, I thank you that you are mighty to save and that you want to do this with us. And as we, we give our hearts to you and we say, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours, that you call back with delight, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. That you want and desire oneness with us, just like the man who would go to war and hasn't, hasn't been able to go home to his bride. You have been longing for us for so many years. Thousands of years you've been longing for your bride made ready. God, we thank you. We thank you that your heart is pure for us and that you are a gentleman and you wait for us to ask you to come in. So we say come into this body right here, this church. Come, be with us, be one with us. We wanna be made ready. We want all the world to know that you are God, that you are love and that you have a plan. We wanna shout from the mountaintops and the rooftops that you are good that your love endures forever. Oh Lord, make us ready. Make us ready, Lord. We love you. We love you so much, Lord. Help us to grow deeper into that place, to know how to abide and just be with you that it's really not that hard. You're the one that has empowered everything that we do. It's by your grace that we're standing here today. It is by your grace that we breathe and have our being. So all we have to do is just be with you, to quit complicating it and just be with you. Let you have your way and grow in us all the things that are of you and of your, your heavenly realm, Lord that we would see that we are sitting next to you, seated high and lifted up with you, above all the storm, above all the mess and the chaos and the works of the flesh. Come and have your way. In your son's name, amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.